Welcome to the special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, Catechesis from the Cathedral. Join Father Adam Streitenberger on a tour of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In this episode, Father Adam begins the section of the Catechism on Prayer, paragraphs 2559 to 2643. Here's Father Streitenberger. Enjoy! In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful. Grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today we move on to part four of the Catechism, which is on Christian prayer. Um, If you recall the structure of the Catechism, which we kind of um, keep reemphasizing, but there are four parts to the Catechism. The first one really is the mystery of Christ. Um, So the idea that Um, God has made us, um, that the human person seeks God, that God reveals himself, and then man responds um, to that gift of revelation, responds to God reaching out to him. So the first part of the catechism really is summarized by that revelation, by God's reaching out to us. And most especially that revelation, reaching out to us is through Jesus Christ and is summarized in the creed. The last three parts of the catechism deal with man's response, our response to God's reaching out to us. So part two was on the sacraments, um, so that the sacraments really are at the heart of living this mystery, living this response. The third part which we just finished in our last session, um, is on morality. So the second way that we respond in faith to Christ and to the mystery of Christ is through living the moral life. And then the fourth part is on Christian prayer. So the fourth um, or the third way that we respond to um, the Lord, to the mystery of Jesus Christ, is in the life of prayer. We're going to see that um, those two structures, so first of all, the threefold action, man searches for God, God responds to man, and man responds in faith. Um, And then also the other points uh, from the creed, from the sacraments, and from morality are all interconnected with this fourth part. So the catechism, you know, so I think unfortunately some people tend to think of it just as some dense reference book, but it really is an interconnected story. Um, And at the heart, the plot, really, of the catechism is we're searching for God, he reaches out to us, and we respond to him. Um, In that sense, we might even say that the the catechism is um, a love novel or a romance novel. Um, So, this section on prayer, well, First, and what we're going to cover today are the first hundred paragraphs or so of part four, 
which essentially deal with what, first of all, what prayer is, and then also how we see prayer in the Old Testament, in Jesus Christ, and in the life of the church. And at the end of that treatment of prayer in the life of the church, we're given sort of the paradigms, the, the categories of prayer. Often in, our, in the catechesis and the explanation of prayer in the life of the church, it really just kind of rests on those categories of prayer. Um, but I think what was very interest, what's very interesting, um, at least in my reading of the catechism um, for this, this presentation, is how much those categories are really rooted in Scripture um, and really rooted in the New Testament. So we'll get to those towards the end of this session. But the catechism begins, um, first of all, by kind of connecting this fourth part to the other parts. Um, And it emphasizes this mystery, the mystery of Christ, then requires that the faithful believe in it, that they celebrate it, and that they live from it in a vital and personal relationship with the living and true God. This relationship is prayer. So a definition of prayer is a vital and personal relationship with the living and true God. It's very interesting that for us to be disciples of Christ, we encounter the Lord, um, we convert, where there is a conversion where we personally adhere to Christ, Um, But we keep living this life. And that personal relationship with the living true God, that ongoing relationship with him, is characterized especially by prayer. By prayer. So we encounter Christ through especially the sacraments. We live this life, we respond to it, and we have this ongoing relationship with him in prayer. To really begin, I think the challenge um, that this fourth part of the catechism gives us is that each of us, um, regardless of our vocation, regardless of our state in life, are to have a life of prayer. That prayer needs to be a part of every day. You know, that time is set aside for prayer. This is, I think, the crucial lesson that for us to be disciples, for us to live this Catholic life, we have to pray every day. We have to make time for prayer. And that's why I think um, this fourth part of the catechism, so often it can be just glossed over. Well, yeah, you know, prayer. Um, But it actually, I think, is one of the most important because most of us know about the seven sacraments to some extent. Most of us know about the Ten Commandments, but I think what's the most difficult thing for us to explain to others and maybe to help teach others um, in our witness of the faith is how to pray and what prayer is. So um, even though we're only going to do about three or four sessions on this fourth part of the catechism, it really is a crucial, important one, and I would even say it's probably one of the easier part, it's probably the easiest part of the catechism. Um, to take into prayer, to take in our time of meditation or adoration before the Blessed Sacrament, and to just read really as as spiritual reading. Um, So let's proceed. The Catechism defines what is prayer. And we began, of course, this part begins with paragraph 250. 
2558, which I had just read before, but it continues with 2559, 2559, with again another definition of prayer. We've heard that it's this um, vital and personal relationship with the living and true God. It's also, we're told, um, based on a definition from St. John Damascene, who's a father of the church, that prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. The foundation of this prayer, then, is humility, the need to turn from myself to God. Um, So often I think people ask the difference between talking to myself or thinking to myself and prayer. And at the heart is that turning, that I am speaking to another. I'm not talking to myself, that I am focused on another. I have turned to another. I think this is a basic fundamental um, lesson in prayer, and maybe even a question that we ask ourselves is, am I talking to myself, or am I turning toward another to talk to him? That's why I think it's it's often a good thing um, to pray in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, objectively, Jesus Christ is there, I can turn to him, or, you know, maybe even um, um, a family altar or some other image so that I can kind of objectively see something outside of me, focus on them um, to represent God, in that case, you know, the image or whatnot, um, so that I'm turning from myself to another. The Catechism goes on, whether we realize it or not, prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with ours. God thirsts that we may thirst for him. It kind of alludes to that very beginning of the Catechism. Man seeks God, man thirsts for God. God reaches out to us, God thirsts for us, he reveals himself. Prayer is is where these two kind of thirstings meet, where these two... um, kind of desires meet, the desire that God has for us and our desire for him. And it's interesting that the catechism is going to use throughout this part this word encounter, which is a crucial point, um, especially as we talk about the new evangelization and missionary discipleship. The idea that the encounter is this this event, this experience where we um kind of unexpectedly the Lord breaks into our life. Prayer is also a response of faith to the free promise of salvation and also a response of love to the thirst of the only Son of God. Um, So we talk about, um, again, faith as man's response to God or you know, the last three part of the catechisms entail our response to God. So very much we're defining prayer as a response to the initiative of God, that God has reached out to us, that he's revealed himself to us. The catechism then talks about prayer as a covenant, but especially where prayer happens, which is in the heart. Now, the catechism says that when we pray, the whole man prays. That's why we use gestures. That's why sometimes we vocalize our prayer. Um, Sometimes we just move our lips. We engage our mind. Sometimes we read. um, We stand. We kneel. We sit. We prostrate ourselves, whatever it might be. Um, The whole man, the whole human person is engaged in prayer. 
but also, most especially, we pray from the heart. And heart, of course, is a term that has been used throughout our treatment of the catechism. The heart really represents the whole person. Um, it is, you know, the, the whole human person. The catechism goes on in 2563, the heart is the place of decision, deeper than our psychic drives. It is a place of truth where we choose life or death. It is the place of encounter because as image of God, we live in relation. It is the place of covenant. In that sense, the heart really is, is kind of like the temple. Um, it's where we come to meet the Lord. It's where we come to encounter him. Um, it is this place of prayer. It is, you know, to borrow from the Gospels, it is this sort of inner room where we go to to pray. Um, and then prayer also as communion. We do define prayer in this personal way, that it is this personal lived relationship with the Lord. But it's also something communal. We pray as a community, um, but also we pray in communion in communion with all of the saints, and in communion with Christ, to whom we are united. So after this little introduction section, the Catechism then turns to chapter 1, which is the revelation of prayer, which is going to go through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the life of the Church, the age of the Church. Um, and so there's a lot of great reflection and meditation, and and, you know, um, a, a lot of people don't realize this, but the Catechism does have an index in the back in in most editions of it where it kind of lays out um, the different um, texts. Um, so it'll go through the different books of the Bible and what, where the, ref the verses, the chapters and verses are quoted and referenced in the um, the catechism. And I think this is a great instrument as maybe we're studying scripture or we're praying with scripture to check up where the catechism um, cites this passage. Um, and, you know, in this section on the catechism, um, it goes through some of the, the famous figures of the Old Testament and their experiences of prayer. So first, the catechism reminds us that there's this universal call to prayer that the human person is in search of God, pointing back to the very beginning of the catechism, and that God calls man first. He reaches out to us. And that each person then is called, and God kind of tirelessly calls us to this, to a mysterious encounter known as prayer. Another definition is a mysterious encounter that God calls us to. Um, and I think that as we kind of try to figure out what an encounter is in our life, um, it's an important important word um, in in our Catholic faith, um, especially emphasized by Pope Benedict and Pope Francis. As we try to kind of think and reflect on our lives, how we've encountered Christ, most often, I think, for us, a good example of an encounter is in a powerful experience of prayer. That's where we most often have our encounter with Christ. Second, probably only to the Eucharist, um, which the Catechism is going to point to as really the fulfillment of prayer. God gradually reveals himself and reveals man to himself. And prayer really is the place where this drama happens, where God reveals himself to us and reveals um, ourselves 
to to each of us, you know, who we are. Um, and I think as, as we kind of look back and reflect on our life of prayer, it has been in these encounters of prayer that, yes, I've come to know the Father's love. I've come to know the mercy of Christ. I've come to um, a deeper insight that, of the Lord's real love for me or that his presence in my life. But also it's in prayer that we come to learn about ourselves, about our needs, um, maybe about our wounds, um, um, but certainly about how the Lord has made us and his plans for us. Um, We're told that prayer is bound with human history, for it is the relationship with God in historical events. That prayer has been there from the very beginning of the human race as kind of a continual part of our experience with God. Uh, We see it in creation, um, in the story of Cain and Abel, in the story of Noah, in the story of Enoch, um, throughout the book of Genesis. Um, It is, um, in a sense... In, in prayer, um, God reveals his covenant to us. Um, but really, the first great example for prayer is Abraham. In 2570, we hear about Abraham. And if you recall um, many, many, many chapters, um, paragraphs ago in the Catechism, the two models of faith which the Catechism proposed to us was Abraham and the Blessed Virgin Mary. In the same way, um, in this section in prayer, the two great models presented to us um, are Abraham and the Blessed Virgin Mary. It kind of connects then our response of faith to the life of prayer. Um, So first of all, Abraham's heart was entirely submissive to the word, and so he obeyed it. He was a man of silence. even if times there was a veiled complaint against God. It is, it's a reminder that part of the drama of prayer, and I think that's a good phrase to repeat, the drama of prayer, because it is in prayer where we struggle um, as God reveals himself to us and as he reveals what it means um, for each of us to be his sons and daughters. Um, there, is a, there is a drama which unfolds um, and it is, I think, we might even call it this this um, beautiful novel unfolds, the novel of our own life, of our own relationship, of our own response to the Lord. Um, but in Abraham's case, we see that there's a real test of faith in his fidelity to God. And it's just really seen in his prayer. Oftentimes, prayer is a wrestling with the will of the Lord. Um, Abraham welcomed these mysterious guests into his tent, which the catechism um, mirrors this this event in Mamre, in Genesis, if you recall, Abraham and Sarah uh, bring in these three mysterious guests. Some people say that they kind of parallel the Trinity. They're sort of, um, you know, kind of indication of a divine visitation. Um, the Catechism in 2571, interestingly enough, parallels that with the Annunciation to the Blessed Virgin Mary when Gabriel mysteriously comes to visit Mary and announces the birth of the Son. Um, a very beautiful image in, in parallel which the Catechism sets up there. Um, again, with Abraham as our model, um, we're reminded um, that as he receives these promises, um, um, and even I think in his in his worries and in his concerns, especially with Isaac 
and the sacrifice of Isaac, prayer restores man to God's likeness and enables him to share in a power in the power of God's love that saves the multitude. Through prayer, we can come to um, be restored, to find our rest in the Lord, but also to find um, the power really to cooperate with the Lord. Um, there's also a mention of Jacob and his wrestling with um, with the angel of the Lord. Um, from this account, the spiritual tradition of the church has retained the symbol of prayer as a battle of faith and as a triumph of perseverance. And that is the key. Um, all that we'll hear about prayer, perseverance is crucial, persevering in our life of prayer, making time each day, despite our busyness, despite the fact that maybe we think we're not getting anything, to persevere in being faithful to making that time of prayer each day. The Catechism then turns to Moses um, as an example. Of course, you know, um, as especially as a, an example of intercessory prayer. Um, he kind of mirrors Christ um, or points to Christ who will be the true mediator between God and man. Um, God reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush in order to save his people. Um, the uh, Moses is also, we're told, um, that he spoke face to face with the Lord as to a friend. This is from Exodus chapter thirty-three, eleven, um, and it really points to this con- uh, to a type of prayer that the Catechism will explain for us later: contemplative prayer. Um, there's also um, this in the Catechism that you know um, Moses drew strength and determination for his intercession, that he persevered in prayer. Um, And that really intercession, praying for others, praying for the needs for others, is a great battle. Um, We see this, of course, in the story of Moses, um, the battle with the Amalekites when he had to keep his arms upraised throughout that. David is also mentioned before David before the catechism goes deeply into David it it touches upon Samuel if you remember Samuel as a young man as a young boy is in the temple or I should say before the blessed before the um, Ark of the Covenant <clears throat> and um, you know he hears the word of the Lord um, but he doesn't quite know that it is the Lord because it's the first time he's heard his voice um, and Eli, the priest, instructs him to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It's this idea of, of listening to the Lord. David is a great model for prayer, the Catechism says, because, again, he submits to the will of God, just like Abraham, just like Our Lady. Um, he praises the Lord. He prays in repentance. And he prays um, in such a way to be a model for prayer for the people. And of course, the great gift of of David, inspired by the Lord, is the Book of Psalms, which is really a you know a collection of hymns, but really also a prayer book for us. Uh, the Catechism mentions Elijah. <clears throat> it also mentions, in, excuse me, in twenty five eighty four, um, that all of the prophets really on their one and one in, they have these one on one encounters with God. Um, and they, from that, they draw light and strength for their mission. 
I think this is a great lesson for us who, in our baptism, have received the prophetic call, is the need for encountering the Lord in our daily prayer. So making that time for daily prayer to encounter him, to draw the light, to draw the clarity that we need um, in our life and in our world, and also to draw the strength that we need for our mission. In 2585, the Catechism continues by talking about the Psalms and how important they are for prayer. Um, Though it connects the Psalms to David in that section, the Catechism treats it all on their own um, as an important important master work of prayer, the Catechism says. Um, The Psalms reflect that prayer is both personal and communal. Some of the psalms are a a personal prayer to the Lord. Some of them are communal. Therefore, um, even communal worship, um, liturgical worship. Um, It also um, deals with those who are praying for all men, not just as a community praying for ourselves, but um, an intercessory prayer for others. they deal with the past events. Um, and even though the Psalms, we might say, um, were written within a certain context, maybe the life of David or the other kings, um, they are inspired, which means that they continually speak to us. Um, they still possess, the Catechism says, a direct simplicity, that it can be, that they can, the Psalms can be prayed in truth by men at all times and conditions. It's why the church from her very beginning has continually prayed the Psalms. It's why um, Judaism, the Jewish people, um, since the the writing of the Psalms has continually prayed them. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, the Psalms really, I think, touch on every human experience. Um, and as we kind of look over the different forms of prayer, the catechisms really, or the psalms really point to all the different types of prayer as well. Um, The catechism reminds us that there are constant characteristics that appear in the psalms. First of all, there's there's a simplicity and a spontaneity of prayer. Um, So, um, you know, prayer does not have to be overly complex. And it also can be something quite spontaneous that just kind of um, gushes forth from our heart. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, some people object to set prayers, you know, written prayers, pre- previously written prayers. Um, but even, you know, like in the Psalms, which have been written um, and have been inspired by the Lord, um, you know, these are set written prayers that have been handed down to them, and there's no lack or loss of spontaneity within them. Um, and I think there's it's 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 a good practice for us to be quite familiar with the Psalms, so that whenever we find ourselves in these different experiences, they kind of gush forth. The Psalms naturally gush forth. I'm intrigued, you know, in in some of the stories of the martyrs, people who were not Christian for very long, how they had um, had memorized not just the Our Father and the Hail Mary and the Creed, but also many of the Psalms, so that as they were proceeding to be martyred, they would sing the Psalms. 
the Psalms really are, you know, these sort of set prayers um, which the Lord has given us. But because of their divine inspiration, they never really lose that spontaneity. Um, the Psalms also really point to prayer as um, an expression of the desire for God. Um, and then finally, um, they also kind of point to the fact that we are often in these distraught situations, um, in need of the Lord, desperately in need of the Lord. Um, another point that the Catechism makes is, um, you know, how much praise is a part of our prayer. Later, the Catechism is going to say that praise is, is well, the Catechism doesn't say it, but I will um, kind of give a poetic interpretation of what the Catechism says, which is that uh, praise is really like the chariot of prayer. It carries all the other prayers, all the other types of prayer to the Lord. Um, it's sort of the charioteer of prayer. Um, so then the Catechism in 2598 points or moves, I should, to the example of Jesus Christ himself, who is the fullness of revelation and therefore the fullness of revelation of what prayer is. So we're, we're reminded that Jesus prays. Um, it's clear, 2559, that Our Lady teaches Christ to pray according to his human heart. Um, you know, both in the faithfulness to the temple, but also in his daily prayer. Um, it is a reminder, you know, that really we need to in instruct children in praying. Um, and it's not an overly complicated kind of thing. Um, you know, children by nature know how to address their parents. Um, you know, I mean, in fact, mo for most children, their first words are you know, kind of a calling out to their mother or to their father. And so really all we need to do is um, to really help children to recognize the Lord's presence in their life and that that really is at the heart, the beginning of, of their life of prayer. <clears throat> the Catechism goes on, um, first of all, by talking about um, how we see in the Gospel, especially the Gospel of Luke, Another important aspect of Christ's prayer, that he's always praying before decisive moments in his mission, and not just praying, but really um, praying in the presence or with the Holy Spirit. It's a reminder that the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of our prayer, the one who prays even when we're not aware of it, who prays ceaselessly. Um, this is very much the case in Luke's gospel with Christ. You know, that um, before his baptism, before his transfiguration, before he selects the 12 apostles, um, before he goes into, or why he's in the desert, you know, he's continually praying. And he's continually in Luke's gospel praying with the Holy Spirit. Um, the... Um, Catechism then moves on. <clears throat> Again, we know Jesus prays. He teaches us how to pray. He gives us the Our Father. Now, what's interesting is um, the Catechism makes a point about the Our Father, which I think is, is worth reflecting on a little bit. Um, he, This is paragraph 2601. He was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, 
one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. In seeing the master at prayer, the disciples of Christ also wants to pray. By contemplating and hearing the Son, the master of prayer, the children learn to pray to the Father. You know, so Jesus gave us this prayer, the Our Father, um, which is very important. And in fact, um, a third of this catechism, at least a third of this part of the part of the catechism, is going to deal with um, the Our Father. We're going to go through the Our Father. It'll be probably the last the last presentation um, of part four. Um, and you know we think about it as a prayer to the Father, but it also it reveals to us in saying this prayer, it reveals to us something about the Son. We're hearing the Son when we contemplate these words. Um, you know, there's not just a union with the Father when we pray the Our Father. Um, there's also a union with the Son. They are His words. Um, we are using his words to address the Father. And as such, there's a certain union, you know. As adopted sons and daughters of the Father, we are able to pray the Our Father um, because Jesus prays this prayer. Uh, at our baptism, towards the end of the baptism, before the final blessing, the child is usually taken to the altar and there, uh, you know, instructed that this child in baptism has now become a son or a daughter of the Father, and therefore they have the courage, they have the ability now to pray the Our Father, and so then everyone prays the Our Father together. Um, Jesus also, at other times we see that he prays in solitude, often on a mountain, sometimes at night. When he prays, he prays for all people, all men. Um, but not just in the sense of I'm praying for all these men, but really in kind of incorporating them. And it's part of the mystery of his incarnation that he's taken on humanity in his incarnation. So when Jesus prays, he's really offering up the whole human race. Um, then the uh, catechism goes on and there are various, what we say, explicit prayers which Jesus makes. We hear about Jesus praying. We hear him teaching the Our Father to the apostles. But there's also some explicit prayers. So the first one is taken from Luke chapter 10, Matthew 11. It's about the time of the Beatitudes. And Jesus says, um, he confesses to the Father, um, acknowledges and blesses them, and he says, "Yes, Father, such has been your holy will, etc., etc., etc." It's interesting that he begins that prayer, "Yes, Father," sort of like Our Lady's fiat. The Catechism makes this connection um, that you know one of the first kind of explicit prayer, one of the first explicit prayers that Jesus makes in the Gospels um, begins with "Yes, Father." Yes, Father, and acceptance of the Father's will. This is, um, I think this is one of the reasons why daily prayer is so important in our lives, is that prayer enables us, making that time each day to be with the Lord, enables us to accept the Father's will for us. To lead off, yes, Father, or let it be according to thy will. The second um explicit point is when 
Jesus um, goes, Jesus um, raises Lazarus. And he goes there, he says to the Father, I know that you always hear me. Um, which, of course, reminds us that Jesus is united to the Father and that um, that he's constantly praying for us. Um, this is in John 11, chapter, or John chapter 11. A third explicit point is what we call the priestly prayer of Jesus. Now, the catechism is going to talk about it in a little more detail um, later in um, the probably our next session. But this high priestly prayer which Jesus makes before his crucifixion, um, and that's John chapter 17. A fourth one, a fourth explicit prayer of Jesus is at the cross, of course, where he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, he's not just saying this. It really is a prayer. And in fact, while he's on the cross throughout that whole time, it's a continual prayer um, that he's engaged in. Um, so the catechism ends really um, this kind of these sort of points throughout the gospel. <coughs> Um, of Christ in prayer. It says, All the troubles for all time of humanity, enslaved by sin and death, all the petitions and intercessions of salvation history are summed up in this cry of the incarnate Son. Here the Father accepts them and beyond all hope answers them by raising his Son. So all of our prayer and every prayer that will ever be made was offered up by Christ on the cross. This is, you know, when we when we talk about Christ on the cross, of course, we think about um, how he is personally united and lifting up every suffering that we have had or will ever have. Like So all human suffering from all time to all eternity um, has Christ has taken on. Second of all, of course, we are well aware that while Christ is on the cross, he has every particular sin ever committed um, on his mind. You know, he has taken those on in order to die for them. But I think an interesting point which the Catechism makes is <clears throat> while Christ is on the cross praying to the Father, um, every single prayer, every single intercession, every single petition which is ever made and which will ever be made are mysteriously united to him there. Um, he's, he's making, he's lifting up those prayers to the Father in that, in that moment. And of course we know that that moment, um, that eternal divine moment of Christ's um, crucifixion and death is made present or we are um, trans mysteriously to it at every Eucharist, at every Mass. Um, so it's sort of this beautiful interse intersection, um, you know, that at the Mass, as we stand present at the moment of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, um, all of the prayers that we've ever made and will ever be made are being lifted up there. And of course, we go there with our p particular petitions and needs and intercessions, thanksgivings, um, um, contritions, um, all of these things, we bring them each day, you know, each time we go to Mass, we bring what's on our heart, what, what we are praying for to the Lord. Um, but in some sense, they've already um, been united there too. Um, 
we just have to kind of make it explicit, just kind of, um, you know, announce to the Lord what we're in need of or, or what we have gone through. The Catechism then goes on about um, kind of the, the, the lessons that we learn about prayer from Christ's teaching. Um, there are about, I would say, seven or eight of them. Um, the first is the real need for conversion of heart. Um, the prayer requires um, a reconciliation with one's brothers before presenting an, al- presenting an offer to the altar. Um, that in order for us to really come before the Lord and to lift up our hearts, we need to make sure that we're good with our brothers and sisters. And I think, you know, so often um, when we come to prayer and maybe we're distracted because of some sort of drama or some sort of um, human experience, you know, like some sort of problem that we have with others, the Lord, the Lord's putting that on our heart, not as a distraction, but really as an invitation to form some re- reconciliation. Now, maybe it might not be possible to reconcile with these people because they've died, they're far away, you've lost contact with them. You know, it's it's not particularly optimal to bring up the issue. Um, well, one, we can reconcile with them by lifting them up to the Lord in that prayer and letting the Lord's blessing and love be upon them. But also, um, strengthened and renewed in our life of prayer, we can um, re-enkindle the relationship, re-engage with these people, um, you know, re-encounter them, um, start over anew in the relationship. Um, the the second lesson is that um, that Christ teaches that the, that the heart learns to pray in faith. That faith is a filial adherence to God beyond what we feel and understand. So um, prayer kind of, the Lord teaches us that prayer really is this kind of clinging to the Lord, um, a filial, like a little child clinging to their father. Number three, there's also a filial boldness that prayer teaches us, that, you know, just like this child who kind of demands food or demands to be lifted up or held, by their uh, father or by their mother. We have the same kind of boldness um, that's given to us in prayer. Fourth, um, that this prayer of faith, it disposes the heart to do the will of the Father. I just mentioned that, that one of the great graces of prayer is that it, it helps us to follow the will of the Lord, to accept the will of the Lord. Number five, um, prayer ensures a certain watchfulness, especially to um, in our battle against sin and temptation. Um, three other lessons connected to this are actually connected to the parables. So the first one is that um, the important, important uh, friend, the one who comes in the middle of the night, well, it, require, it reminds us that prayer is urgent, that as soon as we realize that we're in trouble or that we need something to call out in prayer, the second is the important widow. So that's the widow who kept harassing the judge. And it's a reminder that our prayer, um, it's necessary that it be without ceasing, but also with the patience of faith. With this, It's a little more than perseverance. Perseverance is that we keep praying. Um, patience is that the Lord is going to provide it. Um, 
and not to give up or not to get frustrated. And then um, thirdly, um, we also are reminded by the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that our prayer should be humble, that we should recognize our lowliness, our sinfulness. Um, The Lord also instructs us to pray in his name, um, to ask in his name. This is taken from um, John chapter 14. Um, Faith in the Son introduces the disciples into the knowledge of the Father because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, Our prayer is united to the Father in Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Even more, what the Father gives us when our prayer is united with that of his Son is the gift of the Holy Spirit, his Counselor. Um, In the Holy Spirit, Christian prayer is a communion of love with the Father, not only through Christ, but also in him. Um, You know, so often, you know, we hear at least at the Mass and through formal prayers that we ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Or we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Or we ask this through Christ, our Lord. um, But also there is... um, you know, from the gospel, this example really of asking not just through Christ, but also in Christ um, and in the name of Christ. And that's why, you know, some um, some people are comfortable, you know, that in their in their formulation of prayer, will say we ask this in the name of Jesus, or we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, or um, whatnot. It is, you know, in in John chapter fourteen. Um, you know, the Lord really instructs us to to pray in his name. And that is a reminder that when we pray, because um, we are united to the Father in Jesus, in being united to Jesus, that our prayer is Jesus' prayer. Um, We're also reminded, uh, the Catechism in 2616, that Jesus hears our prayer. We see this throughout the Gospels that people call out to Jesus. Now, we might just say that they're calling out, um, kind of greeting um, um, for, you know, the Lord saying, hey, we need you, hey, we, you know, come and, you know, look at me, look at me. But really, in some sense, those are already prayers, um, which the Lord is, which people are making to the Lord. So the Lord hears our, Jesus hears our prayers. Then finally, um, in 26.17 through 26.19, still going through um, the Gospels and the New Testament, the Catechism talks about um, the prayer of the Virgin Mary. And of course, we see that she's praying throughout at the Annunciation, at Pentecost. Um, Mary prays and intercedes for us in faith. We see this at Cana. We see this when she's praying with the disciples before Pentecost, we see this at the cross as she's praying there. Then 2623, the catechism switches, and, and this is kind of the last part we'll cover today, to prayer in the age of the church. So what what do we see from the rest of the New Testament about prayers? Well, we know that in the Acts that the, the disciples came together to pray. They prayed together. Um, They came together for fellowship, for the breaking of bread or the Eucharist, and for prayer. Um, But we also see from the New Testament um, that there are what we might point to five, five 
kind of paradigms, models of prayer, five types of prayer. Um, some of these have been mentioned earlier in the section on the sacrament. Sacraments. Some of them have been referenced even in um, the Ten Commandments um, part of the Catechism. Um, so first of all, there's blessing and adoration. Um, so blessing expresses, we're told in 2626, the basic movement of Christian prayer. It is an encounter between God and man. Um, if you recall at the end of the section on the sacraments, it talked about sacramentals. And one of those sacramentals were blessings. Um, and there's really two elements. First of all, is that um, the human person um, lifts up the thing to be blessed or what we want blessed. They ascend in the Holy Spirit through Christ to the Father. But then also we implore the grace of the Holy Spirit to descend through Christ from the Father upon the thing that we're asking. Maybe it's our action. Maybe it's an item. Maybe it's a person. Whatever it might be. But it's this twofold action of ascending in you know, to the Lord, lifting it up to the Lord, and then letting the Lord descend down upon it. Um, and it does kind of parallel then this movement that God reaches out to us, he comes down to us, we ascend to him through the life of the sacraments and through prayer. Um, another point, another um, bit of this, so blessing and adoration are connected together. Adoration is defined as the first attitude of man acknowledging that he is a creature before his creator. Um, we're reminded of um, wonder and awe, you know, that moves us. Um, so, you know, when we talk about adoration, you know, when people hear that, they automatically think adoration of the blessed sacrament. And while that is indeed a great form of adoration, an adoration of God who is present in the blessed sacrament, um, we also know that adoration is this larger general type of prayer. It's any time that we kind of acknowledge the greatness of God, the greatness of the Lord, um, through respectful silence in his presence. Um, the second is what we call prayer of petition, prayer of petition. Now, there are two, prayer of petition and prayer of intercession. The easy distinction is petition is asking for my own needs. Intercession is asking for the needs of others. So um, petition really is kind of, um, you know, in, in the New Testament is frequently referenced, but in different ways. So sometimes the New Testament will talk about ask or beseech, or plead, or invoke, or entreat, or cry out, or even to struggle in prayer. Um, but petition is crucial because in it, in bringing our needs to the Lord, which are most often spontaneously we bring these to the Lord, um, it's a recognition of our awareness of our relationship with him. And it even kind of points towards that adoration, the, the recognition uh, the acknowledgement that he is our creator. Um, it, what's interesting is that the the catechism points out in 2630 that there's something new in the prayer of the New Testament that um, lamentation, this sort of almost prayer of despair, um, is not present in the New Testament. It is in the Old Testament. In fact, there is that book of lamentations. Um, but there's a hopefulness in the New Testament 
because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So a crucial point of our petition is hope. We have to have hope. Um, a couple other elements of petitions is um, for the first movement of it is to ask for forgiveness. Um, so contrition, in some ways, this you know some people will talk about contrition as a type of prayer, um, asking you know for the Lord's forgiveness. That's a type of petition. It's sort of a subset of petition. Um, and in fact, it's the first most important one. Second Christian p- petition is centered on the desire and search for the kingdom to come. We pray first for the kingdom, then for what is necessary to welcome it and cooperate with its coming. Um, it kind of refines our petition. What do we really need? Well, first of all, we need the kingdom. We need Christ to reign in our hearts and in our lives and in this world. That's the first thing we need. The second thing that we need really is um, our, the, the ability to welcome it and to cooperate with its coming. Um, again, and I think that that's why authentic prayer ultimately leads to an acceptance of the Lord's will in our life. Why? Because it's a praying for the kingdom to happen. Um, another point of prayer of petition is that um, we understand that every need can become the object of petition. And so this leads us really to pray at all times, um, to pray, you know, even if it doesn't seem the most important. If we, you know, if we really factor in, okay, I want the kingdom to come and I want it to be able to cooperate with that to come. There may be things which, they may, maybe they're not the most important things in the world. But nonetheless, they're worthwhile to pray for if they're somehow connected to that kingdom. So it's not as if the Lord says, don't pray for things, even for things that aren't important, only pray for serious things. It's that, no, always pray for serious things. Um, and then, you know, kind of in connection to that seriousness, namely the coming of the kingdom and our cooperation with it, um, these little things may become a part of it. In fact, you know, I would say that, you know, the desires of our heart, the legitimate desires of our heart, um, you know, do point to the coming of the kingdom. Um, so, you know, there's um, there's no discouragement in um, in in praying, you know, and and what the object of petition might be. Um, as long as it's connected somehow to the coming of the kingdom and my acceptance of the coming of the kingdom or the coming of Jesus reigning in my life. Um, Then there is the prayer of intercession, which is defined in 2634. Intercession is a prayer of petition which leads us to pray as Jesus did, namely especially to pray to the Father for those before us. in the age of the church, Christian intercession participates in Christ as an expression of the communion of the saints. So when we pray for others, we're uniting to Christ who on the cross is praying for everyone and receiving every kind of need out there and lifting it up to the Father. Um, it's also a union with the communion of saints who are praying for us, especially Our Lady who's praying for every grace that we need and every grace that the world needs. Um, 
um, we look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others, um, even into the, the point of praying for those who do us harm and who did the Lord harm. Um, and I think that's the key um, to forgiveness um, and to reconciliation, is let's begin to pray for those who have harmed us. Not that they get their comeuppance, not that they figure out that they've hurt us, um, but rather that the Lord bless them and that they be loved and that they be lifted up to the Lord. Then there is prayer of thanksgiving. Um, the Catechism says that this characterizes the prayer of the Church, especially in the Eucharist. Um, as in the prayer of petition, every event and need can become an offering of thanksgiving. Just as we can pray for an every perceived need, also we should give thanks to every perceived good or every possibility that's there, you know, to give thanks. The Catechism then ends this section with the prayer of praise. It's a form of prayer which recognizes most immediately that God is God. It lauds God for his own sake and gives him glory, quite beyond what he does, but simply because he is. 2639. So the praise of the Lord is not just because he has done something. He's answered a prayer, answered a petition, answered an intercession. It's rooted even more firmly that we're praising him because he is, because who he is. The Catechism says this again, 2639. Praise embraces the other forms of prayer and carries them toward him who is the source and goal the one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist. The book of Psalms and even the book of Revelation are filled um, with this sort of type of prayer, this type of praise. Um, finally, the Catechism, and I'll, I'll read it um, to end this section, 2643. The Eucharist contains and expresses all forms of prayer, it is the pure offering of the whole body of Christ to the glory of God's name, and according to the traditions of East and West, it is the sacrifice of praise. In the Mass, we have petition, we have intercession, we have thanksgiving, we have praise, we have adoration um, and blessing, everything. And, and that's why the Mass is... Although we do have a life of prayer outside of the Mass, the Mass is the fulfillment and the summit of our prayer life. Um, let us end in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. You've been listening to Catechesis from the Cathedral with Father Adam Streitenberger. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, download it or share it with a friend, please visit stgabrielradio.com, go to our audio archives, and look for Catechesis from the Cathedral. Thanks so much for joining us today. God bless and have a great day.